You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This is the 3CR Gardening Show coming to you from our Collingwood studios on this beautiful autumn morning. Today's panel is made up of three absolute powerhouse women and I am very, very excited to introduce them to you. We have Emmeline Bowman, landscape architect and director of STEM Landscapes. Emma Hurd, landscape architect of Little Green Landscapes and president of the Encouraging Women in Horticulture Australia Association, and Chloe Thompson, horticulturalist and garden coach, founder of Sprout School and Been There, Dug That on the socials. And I am Chloe Foster. There are four women in the studio and only two name variations. (laughs) I hope people don't think there's an echo, but welcome, ladies. It's really awesome to have you guys in the studio. Uh, Chloe, I think you're still recovering the most from the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show last weekend. Yeah, it was exhausting. Five full days emceeing the main stage. So, um, yeah, I was a bit shattered on Monday and Tuesday (laughs) following it. Did your kids remember who you were? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they kind of wondered what I'd been up to, but they came in one day and was like, oh, mum's up on the stage. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so great. Yeah, yeah. how lovely. Yeah. Em, how are you going with all your projects at the moment? Oh, we are very busy. I yeah. think um, we're just sort of playing a bit of catch up. And yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't do the garden show this year because it was just a little bit too much for us. So we, we ended up pulling out, but I um, had a look at it and man, they did a great job. Um, with the time they had and with everything that's going on. But, um, yeah, we're just really busy. I think everyone's at home and um, got a little bit of extra money from not being able to spend to go on holidays. So they're going, oh, look at our garden. So, yeah. yeah. Where are you working at the moment? Where are your jobs um, projects? We're a bit all over, actually. Um, we've got stuff in Woodend, uh, Heskett, um, down in the Dandenong Ranges, down here in Northcote, we're everywhere at the moment. So excellent, yeah, bit here, there, and far, and, the, and on the coast, Barwon Heads. That's right. Oh, so, that'd yeah. be beautiful to go down to. Yeah, it is. Well, when you get down there, but yeah, yeah. coastal themed plant selection. For absolutely, that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and they're um, fringing on a reserve, so it's sort of nice to be able to pop in some of these local species back into this little spot because um, originally the whole area was this big green square wedge of um, this really quite rare, rare endangered woodland and developers cut it in half 
which I was like, okay. As I do. As they do. So you sort of like have this little conscience to go, okay, what can we do at mm. least to rectify part of that horrible mm. situation? But yeah, that's good. It's good. good. I'm going to quiz you more later. Yep. Emma Heard. I call you both M. This is going to be really <laughs> I apologise to the listeners out there. Emma Heard, what projects have you got going on at the moment? Uh, so it's exciting. We're, we're going to start documenting the Ballarat Botanic Gardens fernery soon. So that's going to be wonderful. Is that a brand new garden or a renovation? Uh, so it's a new building, the fernery. So it's a it's a beautiful 1800s fernery that was there mm-hmm. um, and they've they've redesigned it to bring it up to today's standards and put it there so it's sort of I guess it's a little bit of a replica mm-hmm. um, and we're designing the interior and the exterior garden so that's going to be a beautiful project excellent um, and uh, the Australian cloud forest is moving ahead at the um, National Rhododendron Garden which is now Alinda um, botanic gardens yep so very exciting to see that moving ahead as well with the rhododendron locky eyes in prime position they you were telling us before we started you said they're absolutely thriving because the plants have just arrived up to the rangers botanic garden yeah there. yeah they seem to be a lot happier um tex moon who's on the show quite regularly as well he is uh looking after the plants at the moment and <laughs> yeah he said he's really enjoyed seeing them you know, come into their own, even in the f- couple of weeks that they've mm. been up here. So I think they're liking the the climate up where they're going to stay. That's a really good sign because they've been, you said they've been down at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens mm-hmm. nursery. Yeah, for yeah which, you know, they took really good care of them, but yeah. it's just a, a different different climate there. Absolutely. So have, this is part of the, is this part of the Care for Rare project yeah. that the um, Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand group is helping support mm. and fund. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the cloud forest and sort of the reasons behind it. So part of the reasons they're doing it is uh, to do with successional planning for climate change and recognising that we need to create little microclimates for some rare special spe- species. Um, so uh, horticultural and botany researchers are sent out to find these special gems of plants Mm. and the research shows that we have very similar climatic conditions in terms of we're a similar elevation to where these um, rhododendron lockeyes are harvested from and so we're going to try and create their special place here as well and so far so good. That's really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Some good ex situ conservation happening. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The Botanic Gardens have done quite a few trips up to those high altitude areas of tropical Queensland. Yeah. There's some pretty unusual flora growing up there. Yeah. Yeah. Very special. Very, very special. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now, before I forget, we must get on to um, some listener guest passes that we have to give away. Uh, The Tesla... Tesla's is holding a Kabloom festival, that's K-A, Bloom, <laughs> festival of flowers for the whole month of April. And we have been lucky enough to get some um, entry tickets for our listeners. Uh, we've got four available and, and it gives you entry into um, into Tesla's, which they're up in Sylvan, so 357 Monbulk Road, um, and it's called Tesla Flower Farm. 
If you would like those tickets for those listeners that are tuning in bright and early uh, to the show, um, give us a call on 94190155 and you'll just speak to uh, Rosie or Byrne on the phones. They'll take your details and we'll get those tickets posted out to you. Uh, it's it's uh, four double passes that we've got available. So give us a call and give us a call if you have any questions, um, if you want to chat to us on air, if you went to the Flower and Garden Show last week, we'd love to hear what your favourite bits were. Uh, our number is 94190155. The text message line is also open today and that's 0488809855. Now we can't see um, photos on the text line if people send them through if you have photos and you need help with some troubleshooting um, and you want to send some images through you'll have to send them to the email address which is gardening at 3cr.org.au and any podcasters that are out there that have any questions that's one of the best ways to contact us as well we also have facebook and instagram and they are both called 3cr gardening show So if you want to follow along with the plants that we talk about on the show and see who's going to be on every Sunday morning, uh, they're the places to go for that. So 3CR Gardening Show on Facebook and Instagram. But give us a call today for those tickets for Kabloom Festival of Flowers, 94190155. Good luck and call, people. (laughs) Chloe, tell us a little bit, a little bit about Sprout School. Yeah, which sure. You, which... So um, I started back in October last year, and I started Sprout School because I was noticing, as everyone probably has, that there's a huge increase in gardeners. In mm. fact, someone told me at Mifkus that there was a twenty percent increase in people gardening than now than there was two years ago Um, and I was certainly noticing noticing that on Instagram I was getting a lot more messages you know what's this how do I do this what should I plant here and I started to realize that I could put together my passion for helping people into my passion for talking (laughs) and put it into a course yeah Um, so I created Sprout School which is a six-week online course that I live teach via zoom And I literally take gardeners right through six modules of gardening. The very first module, you know, we play with dirt on Zoom. And I often joke that, you know, I bet you've never done this on a Zoom call before. (laughs) Bring a bucket of dirt and play with it. Do you Um, make the worms? Do you make the yeah? yeah, We make we make the worms. We make ribbons. I get them rubbing it between their fingers (laughs) and picturing sand or clay particles we talk about particle size we do the jar test yeah well I I do the jar test and then I tell them yeah Yeah. and then I tell them how to do it and then they go away and they post it up in the private Facebook group and everyone's trying to work out where they sit on that little soil triangle yeah yeah yeah. and a lot of people it's just it just blows their mind because they're like but I thought I just had sand (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Um, we look into aspects of you know garden design, garden planning, plant selection. Um, we then look into things like edibles, uh, garden maintenance tips and tricks. You know, pruning, fertilizing. Uh, fertilizing is a real you know mystic area to yeah. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a lot of feedback saying, "Oh my gosh, I now understand how fertilizers work." Yeah. <laughs> um, or you know, "Oh my gosh, I had a whole you know garden shed full of liquid." seaweed but no fertilizer yeah so yeah 
Um, I find it really fun. And I've only done two rounds so far and I've taught nearly 50 people. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I was really chuffed. Yeah. And you mm. met a lot of them at the Flower and Garden Show. I did. Week, yeah. You? It was so beautiful. I probably yeah. had at least five ex-Sprout School students yeah. come up to me and say, I did Sprout School last year. <laughs> and I saw on one of your posts, like some of them are going on to further study. They and are, which is so fabulous. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So the passion for horticulture is infectious. So. Yeah. yeah it <laughs> so is. good yeah. to see. Yeah. yeah. So, Chloe, you might even bump into some. I'll send them to yeah. <laughs> Polytech. Yes, yes, send them along just for like the next step in, yeah. their, in their plant journey. Yeah, for sure. And for some of them it might be, but for some of them it's probably just help in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely a gap. I mean, as soon as the pandemic hit, we yeah, – all over Instagram, people just started gardening yep. and mm-hmm. because there was like nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. So – yeah, there's been, and we did. We have seen a spike in uh, enrolments in in TAFE in horticulture as well, and it's turned out to be a pretty. And we're all very lucky. It's turned out to be a pretty reliable industry to be in in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I know there has been some times when workplaces have been and, and project sites have been shut down. Yeah, but overall, we've been pretty lucky. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I mean, the work that I do in the media, horticultural media, during lockdown, um, I had clients sending me products and plants and I was filming them in my backyard with my husband, who was a photographer or is a photographer yeah. and was obviously out of work. He was filming videos instead yeah, during lockdown really in my backyard. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thank goodness we had gardening, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad I wasn't in an apartment no. <laughs> during those lockdowns. It was very hard. <laughs> Emmeline, tell us about some of the projects that you've gone on at the moment. We spoke about Barwon Heads before. Yeah. I actually, we've, we've actually been really all over. I mean, like three weeks ago I was in Sydney. There's a wetland out there. Actually, I've got a cute story to say about that one. So obviously there's been all those floods in Queensland and there's been a bit of a run-on effect. So they're, they're getting a lot of rain in New South Wales too, but obviously everything has to come down. So mm. all the rivers and everything are piling up with these loads of water. And um, a friend of mine who was who actually helped on oh, one of our Mythos Gardens years ago was telling me how they were on their little tinny around this area where we were, where we've got this wetland, but everything was in flood. They're on this tinny. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this massive body of water is this little floating um, blue tongue lizard. <laughs> and it had puffed itself up. You know how when they're like in defense mode, they're like, shh. <laughs> so he's like, shh. And he's floating, bobbing on top of the water. In his little in, in his little life vest, I guess. <laughs> and they just like got him out. They're like, oh yep, and popped him in the titty and he was like, oh. <laughs> oh well, lucky that they found him. Yeah. So that was a really lovely story to sort of say. But um yeah, we um we had a project that was actually running for the two years during the lockdowns and it was quite hard because trying to get over was impossible. So it was mm. all do we all did it through um drone imagery and mm. yeah, that sort of stuff. Amazing. But it was really cool. Three weeks ago we did the last bit. We got to plant out. I just went out for the day and got to plant it out. It was so humid. I am not <laughs> suited to go to Queensland or anywhere like that. I was like sweating. I looked like a bowling ball. My head was my hair was plastered to my head. I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and he had nothing. He was wearing like a long sleeve shirt. I just I couldn't oh, believe it. Wow. But um yeah, no, it's looking good. It is just gave me an update last week that um, the Nardu in particular, it's like a little water fern. Um, it's just 
bloomed everywhere. Like he's just like, I can't believe how quick it is. I'm they're like, they're so yeah. beautiful. Isn't they're like it? they're like a little shamrock shaped leaf. Exactly, they look so like little gorgeous. floating clovers. Yeah. yeah, and we did the Mutica version because you get that more up like New South Wales. But yeah, you go into autumn and you get the coloration var- like variations. What's the Mutica version? It's it's basic. It's common name is called Rainbow Nadu. Mm. So it it just changes color. So you right now we'll start getting to like the reds and the yellows, like our deciduous mm. trees. So it's a stunner, yeah. But it can be quite prolific. So you have to be kind of careful where you plant it. Is it local to up where you are planting it, or it, it was can sort of be found confined. in those areas? Yeah, a lot of it's been it's kind of hard because a lot of the water plant species um, they've sort of they've they've become really highly reduced just because of like agriculture and all those sort of things aquatic plants are tasty and that's tasty to a lot of livestock so mm. that's why you don't really see too much um mm. it's actually really lovely uh last week i went for a walk um with the button grass walk up at the bunyan bunyip state forest mm. and there's a little wetland in there and it was like the first time for quite a long time i've seen like the native water milfoil growing everywhere and i was just like yes <laughs> <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I just stood there for a little while. I and mean, I suppose the other thing that happens is uh, when waterways are adjacent to agriculture, mm. you know, spraying and over-fertilisation can affect absolutely. the waterway. Yeah. Absolutely. It all, it all has an effect. So that's why, you know, I get a real kick out of being able to put, you know, these species back into these systems. Um, I know they're like gardens, but they become habitat. Yeah. They're a water source. You're sort of keeping those local species so yeah it's pretty rewarding mm. yeah it's wonderful work yeah, yeah. oh it's fun <laughs> you get in the water except when it's humid oh yeah, no, yeah. I'm happy to stay in melbourne i don't like it when it's humid here oh <laughs> it's so hard i'm not good but um yeah how, how land like uh land wise how big was the project in new south wales that you did it was pretty big so um how would i say i, I guess the wetland itself would be about 70 meters long about 30 metres wide and it had like waterfalls and other pits and the overflow that goes into another dam and so wow. when you're planting yeah. that out is it how full is it are you wearing waders or <laughs> do they pump mm. some of it out for you to plant they pump a little bit out yeah um i don't i I'm terrible. I probably should, but I hate wearing any waders or anything. I just go in with my shorts. Or well, when it's like, warm like that as well, mm, you, like yeah. the feeling is not very nice yeah. wearing waders. The waders will fill up with water. Oh, it's hell. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't <laughs> move. It just hell. Mm. Yeah, no, I love the feeling of, you know, fresh water especially. I just love it. Um, mm. And, yeah, you have to plant in the warm months anyway, so yeah. it's always warm. But, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was emptied a little bit um, and you sort of toddle around all the rocks. I was actually lucky. I wasn't actually – properly planting i was placing everything for him because he was going to have like because it could only be there for a day he had his whole family come over for the weekend which was a really nice sort of family event and they just put it all in so yeah just like popping them all everywhere you usually get stuck into the planting at the end of a job don't you that's one of the things you like to do yes yeah yeah we make that part of all of our projects um just because it's just one big thing for a lot of landscape architects and designers is that you will be on a plan and your favorite thing about everything you do is planting and being in the garden 
but the reality of it is you're behind a screen. Mm. So I'm like, yep. well, how do we change this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though like I don't think the contractors like it too much because I think they like doing the planting too. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. too bad. Too bad. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's also fun doing the plant acquisition. Like sometimes yeah. I like to take that back from the contractors too and just be like, yes, yeah. plant acquisition is ours. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> you go shopping. <laughs> oh, plant shopping. Oh, plant shopping is the best. Yeah. But um, oh. you learn a lot too. I think you learn and the staff learn a lot being actually on site and to remember all those names. Like mm. you can you can remember it, you know, just by reading the plant and, and working with that. But until you put it into the ground and you're feeling it and you're looking at it and then you mm. see it in the garden, it's so much more informative and it retains better. Mm. This technological age is harder to sort of retain yep. all the information. You kind of have to do things to feel that. It's the sensory family. bit. Yes. And then you see it, you feel it, and you're actually yeah, you're physically doing it. And you get to see the root structure too. Yep. You yeah. get to see what kind of roots you're dealing with, whether mm-hmm. they're rhizomatic or whether they're, Absolutely. you know, more lateral growth. Yeah. Obviously coming out of pots, you know, you don't see that so well whether they're lateral but you get a good sense yes yeah, yeah. Mm. and when you visit again maybe you know a year later i wish we could always visit sometimes you don't but mm. um but when you do you can see you know what does really thrive or you know some might just do okay they're mm. still doing okay but you'll see that on another site they went gangbusters you're like ah so they actually don't respond well to this or you know you, mm. it's yeah. very good yeah yeah, yeah. What about the wildlife at the wetland site? Has he yeah. reported a massive influx? Uh, not so. It's only just in. Okay. Frogs are in. Yep. Lots. I've never seen so many tadpoles. Oh. Um, I honestly like walking along the edge. They would they would sit up because they love the warmth and they get a bit of oxygen on the banks of the thing. So they just went all through like <laughs> thousands of them. And then when I was moving the pots because we had some of the plants in the water just sitting there because they were water plants. Didn't want to get them too dry mm. i lifted them and had all those water scorpions i don't know if you've heard them mm. before they're they're actually predatory insects that feed off uh or feed off the tadpoles so oh. they feed are they it's pretty oh, scary yeah. they look kind of like they're completely harmless <laughs> but they were everywhere so it already that that natural um balance thing Ecosystem, is happening yeah. it's happening mm. but um no he's got frogs what we really want is there's a lot of water dragons there okay um and he and colin this is the name of the client he loves them so um he already said that when he was at his other dam they were there which mm-hmm. was really exciting because i hadn't seen them there mm-hmm. and we've put um well I was sort of in the planning i was like there's the rock caves and he made all the little rock caves he put like little t- pipes underneath the rocks and everything <laughs> for it so I expect them to move in pretty quickly. But when the vegetation starts Rose. to develop, yeah, these things are great because it's like every year is a succession of different wildlife. Yeah. So it, it builds up on each other. Yep. And that's it's pretty rewarding. So, mm. yeah, if I'm on again, I'll just keep you tuned because he's going to yeah. keep me updated with what sort of comes in. So, yeah, yeah. that's so, really great. That's the, that's the best bit is the wildlife. I, that's that makes yeah. me so happy. Well, you're sort of ending up watching two things grow. You're yeah. watching the plants grow, but mm. then you're watching the whole ecosystem and the wildlife grow yep. as well. Yeah. And it changes all the time. Yep. So it's it's great. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, mm. it's fun. Yeah. Well, I must remind listeners that you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I have Emmeline Bowman and Emma Hurd, both landscape architects and pretty damn awesome in their own rights. 
And Chloe Thompson and Chloe Foster, both horticulturalists and awesome in our own rights as well. Uh, if you have any questions for us, give us a call on 94190155. Congratulations to the people that called up for the Kabloom tickets. They are all gone now. So uh, those tickets will be coming out to you in the mail sometime this week. So keep your eye on your letterbox. If you want to send us a text message, the number is 0488. 809855. Uh, someone has sent in a photo. Unfortunately, we cannot see photos on the screens in the studio here, so you might need to email it or give us a call um, and we can try to troubleshoot your conundrum uh, on the phone lines, which is 94190155. And you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Emma, tell me about some other projects that you've got going on. Uh, so um, I should clarify as well that the previous two projects that I spoke about, I do with Andrea Proctor Landscapes. Yep. So I should define that. So Andrea and I collaborate on larger projects together. Yep. Um, and my Little Green Landscapes company, I do smaller projects and mm. residential work. So um, I just installed a courtyard garden in Canterbury, which is really beautiful. Um, the client has two dwellings so she wanted something that she could have vegetable beds and a lovely perennial garden but um, not be as high maintenance so they're in uh, raised steel planters and then the veggie boxes are wicking beds so that she can go away for longer periods of time and not be too concerned. Mm. Um, it was so nice because it, it was a brick paved courtyard completely empty um, and as we were installing it, just to see the bird life come mm. and, um, yeah, really experience things picking up and bees coming into the garden mm. immediately because we were putting things in that were already flowering. So yeah. it's just so rewarding. Again, similar to Emmeline, mm. not not as incredible as a wetland. <laughs> oh, no, but they're all. They're, yeah. But, yeah, it was so nice even in small spaces to know that you can – create a little habitat for, yeah. for special creatures. Yeah. I took myself down to Plantmark a few weeks ago and I was only going to get a couple of... It's <laughs> 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 oh, so dangerous. I've got this one section. I'll just get some plants for that. It'll be fine. And there was so much flowering. There was some, a couple of varieties of agastarches and salvia. Mm. Agastarches... I, I love the flowers, but they stink. I hate the smell. I agree. I hate yeah. them. And some people don't mind it, but yeah. I can't stand it. I can't yeah. stand They're it interesting. Yeah, I've never really noticed an offensive smell, oh, so there no. you go. I mustn't be offended oh, by it. I just <laughs> think it smells like, this is going to sound terrible, weed and cat pee. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, how no. I think these combine. I'm They're, like... There's wow. something in that combination. It's like the yeah. coriander of the flower world. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Do you like coriander? I do like coriander. And I do like coriander Excellent. too. Oh, so maybe it's just sensory smell. Maybe. But they are like the really good sort of insectivorous sort of plants. They're in, you know, in the Lamiaceae family and they're mm. closely related to salvia. So they're fantastical. Mm. You know, the bees and other insects love them. Yep. So I bought a few of those but there was a couple of other varieties of salvia there and the bees and butterflies mm. that were hanging around them the whole batch was in flower it was insane there was you know probably about two or three different varieties of um, butterfly mm. uh, hanging around them and then all the yeah 
heaps of honeybees and all that. So I've got a few extra of those and I've got a whole tray of plants unplanted sitting in my garden because I don't know where to put them. I do the same. Like everyone thinks like because you're professional that you're like, yep, you must have everything down pat. If I go to these bloody places, I come back with like so many plants. I spend hundreds and I'm just like, oh, no, where I put them? (laughs) And then they sit there and then I'm going to be honest, I'll – It'll get forgotten for a bit and then some die and I'm just yeah. like, yep. look what you've done. You're a, you're a terrible M. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. You can't see. Hands you're up. not alone. You're not alone. That's good because he's just like, I'm a fraud. Everybody knows. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't mean that, but it's funny because you're just no, like. No, you feel like it though. You feel yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm a professional. I should be able to keep these alive and buy the right numbers. No. No. You just go, I just went crazy. I thought they were pretty. I'm going to keep them here. Yeah. And I don't know what to do now. I don't have any time either. <laughs> it so goes to show as well, though, that like nursery is very different to design, and mm-hmm. like these these facets of horticulture are so different. Like it's really hard to manage a nursery. Like oh. potted plants mm-hmm. are really hard to manage. So, I think that all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I do the same. I have my own little like nursery in <laughs> in the backyard, yeah. just like ready to plant and. Yeah, it's it's hard when you lose some of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just like, oh god, I'm a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) You went to Plant Mark recently too, didn't you? I did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually very well behaved. I actually went to shoot some content for Sprout School students um, and have a bit of fun making some silly Instagram reels as well. Yeah, I love doing that. Um, But yeah, it was really good. I like the. The range of plants at Plantmark. Um, and if people don't know, listeners don't know, Plantmark is a wholesale and trade-only nursery, so you can only get in there if you are in the trade, so to speak. Um, but because it's a mix of, what, hundreds of different nurseries in oh, one location? It's, it's a supermarket. It's a supermarket. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, it's nuts. Nothing's organised oh. into plant types <laughs> or anything. You find yourself, you know, yeah. you have to use an app to find things and then you... And the app doesn't work. And Yeah, the mm, app doesn't okay. work sometimes. <laughs> Do you know how they're organised? I'll put you on the spot. I know. I was going to say there's letters and there's numbers. but So it, all the different growers sort of hire X amount of space. Yeah, they're so organised they by growers. Their, yeah, yeah, so it's organised like by growers. It's like a concession stand. Pardon? It's like a concession <clears throat> kind of – it's kind of like a department store where different – Yeah. Yes, yeah. But, yeah. you know, not all of the Corrier Dusky Bells are together mm-hmm. in one spot and they're all – they might be in different five different growers. spots yep. from yep. five different growers. And, and different prices. Five different yeah, different prices. Yeah. And sometimes and five different qualities as well. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Some growers send really good stuff to Plantmark and some of them send their not-so-good stuff to Plantmark. Yep. And you can tell because you'll see patches of like yellowing and death mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're walking around yep. and, and patches of beautiful plants. Yeah. And I bought lots of beautiful plants when I was there. Recently, it's very dangerous. The trouble yeah. is with those massive trolleys that they have. <laughs> I've discovered that a massive trolley's worth fits in the boot of my car. No, yeah. yeah. So I now know that if I fill up the trolley, that's okay. It'll fit in my boot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. and they don't have small trolleys at no. the one size because it's trade. So yeah. they they know you want a lot of plants. <laughs> yes, whether it's personally or professionally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> When you guys are doing projects, where do you start with sourcing your plants from? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. Um, you already, oh, you already have an idea of the types of plants you want to use. But say if you want your specky sort of items, you 
tend to create a relationship with a lot of different nursery growers. Mm. So that's what, you know, what I, I always do. So if I want like my Indigenous stock, obviously I'll try and make sure that it's from a nursery that's local to that area. But then if it's like for native items, I'll either go to Plant Mac or Plant Multi or if I want like really specky native stuff, I'll go to like Phil Vaughan and he'll mm. source all those plants for me. So I already have a list in my head of all those suppliers. So when I'm pro- putting those plants into my design, I know I can get them. Mm. That was actually one thing that was really, really hard with that New South Wales project mm. is that New South Wales don't have that many suppliers for native plants. Oh, They're actually, right. they were actually really hard. I don't know. I don't know. Um, we ended up. What we did was we got a lot of the native plants from Victoria and sent them up, especially water species. That was nearly mm. impossible. So a lot of that just got sent right up. So, yeah, that I do find when you're out of state, it makes it really hard. We've got a project in Queensland at the moment too and you're, out, you're like way out of your depth there because it's obviously a completely new system. But I was like I have no relationship with any nursery growers mm. here. And it makes it very hard. So for people who are working on projects, my advice is definitely make relationships with your local nurseries and especially like the smaller ones as well because that knowledge is so helpful because mm. you're not going to know everything. These people are in the industry for so long, they can give you a wealth of knowledge and advise you. And mm. I can't express how important it's been to have those very special um, relationships. Mm. So, yeah. And yeah. I'd also advocate that um, if you're doing your own fee structures at the beginning of a project and you know that sourcing is going to be mm. a, a major part of the project, budget for a little bit for that wealth of knowledge yeah. as well. So um, sometimes that might mean, you know, adding an extra 5% mm-hmm. um, and, and paying that grower a little bit more mm. so that, you know, because their knowledge is really worth mm-hmm. worth yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's really good to hear because I think people look at plants and, and I know it can be hard if you're a little bit more inexperienced and you're scared to spend money on something that might die and then you have to go and buy it again. Um, but we really do undervalue the knowledge and skill that it takes to grow a plant Mm. from, you know, collecting seeds or collecting plant material to the propagation process. Mm. Not to mention the time invested in day in, day out, watering that plant, making sure it's got the right environmental conditions, weeding it, you know, Mm -hmm. getting it into the next pot size. Yep. Yep. And they, you know, they have different watering requirements, different species, different cultivars. Mm. Yeah. So it can be pretty challenging. My my sister, um, she got all excited. She she loves these silver princess trees, and she sort of went, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get these seeds, and I'm gonna propagate." She went like crazy. Anyway, she got the first time. It was just the dust from the capsule, so she thought they were seeds. And when they started growing, I was like, "Oh, I think it's oxalis." No, it's definitely not. I'm like. Yeah, it is. And then we gave a little bit of time. Like, I got an oxalis pot. I'm like, look, Dirk, it's, it's oxalis. Yeah. Anyway, she, she's so determined. She went back and she, she got the actual seeds. Like, yeah, they're seeds. Pops it in. And now she has 20 little baby eucalyptus saicis, little silver princesses. And it took so long. Like, yeah. the amount of time and the love that she's put into this, but it really does drum in. Like, mm. how the hell do all these nursery growers have, like, these massive productions? Yeah. And, mm. You know, all the water required. I mean, I guess it's all got a system, but it is. There's a lot of work involved. Huge. A lot. 
Yeah. yeah, it's impressive and valuable. And I think if if we're designing on behalf of a client, like we have an opportunity to advocate for that mm-hmm. a little bit and build it into our specs. Mm. So that's a nice a nice thing to do. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard work if you own a nursery and run a nursery, but it is, it's hard work if you're working, if you're one of the workers mm. in it too. Like they're quite physically yeah. demanding uh, roles, but... Yeah, one of my first jobs was in a, a wholesale nursery. Me too. Great. <laughs> yeah. you, you learn so much and you, you also learn to look after your body. <laughs> yeah, it's character building yeah. <laughs> some of those days. Um, and, you know, there's certain weeds that keep you employed, like yeah. flickweed and oh, the flickweed. Yeah, yeah. Where did you two start your horticulture? Like where were your first jobs in oh, hort? Well, I actually did an undergraduate in agricultural science. That's right. Um, and I, all throughout it, you know, I focused on, ended up, I ended up focusing on doing subjects that were plant-based. So plant pathology or, you know, um, plant ID or plant ecosystems. Um, but whenever we had an assignment, I always ended up doing horticultural plants rather than broad acre crops mm. like everyone else did. So mm. I would do apple trees, fungal diseases on apple trees and everyone would do fungal diseases on wheat. Mm. Um, then when I finished uni, I ended up getting a job um, as the industry development officer for the strawberry growers in Victoria. Oh. Mm. Um, and I did that for about four years. And it was really a comms kind of a role, um, helping them develop their skills, you know, initiate training, um, different systems in place and things like that. It was a load of fun. I got to eat mm. a stupid amount of strawberries. Oh, yes. <laughs> Are you yep. sick of them? <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually don't like strawberries that much anymore. <laughs> or I'm really particular about which grower I buy the strawberries mm. from. <laughs> um, so I did that for four years and then I had a couple of different roles as well for um, different horticultural businesses, again, where I had very much a comms kind of a role. Mm. So I was doing talks, presentations, writing, um, throw in there. I did a grad dip of horticulture as well. Um, what else? I did a TV with Garden Gurus for a couple of years. That's right. Um, yeah, so I sort of started to... It's just sort of one thing after another. Yeah, you've been in sort of the communication side of horticulture yes, most of your most of that type life. of thing. And yeah. I, I'm really passionate about that education side of things. And if anything, people say to me that I'm good at breaking it down so that they can understand it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a real what I skill. Mm. Mm. Thanks. That's um, one of the challenges I like about <clears throat> teaching too. Is yeah, how can you break this down so that someone gets it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, we're similar like that. Not yeah. just our names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Emma's, where were your, Emmeline, Emma, where were your? <laughs> <laughs> okay, We've become one page. <laughs> yeah. What were your first jobs in Hort? Um, well, I, I, I think mine wasn't as streamlined. So, like, originally I come from a massive dairy farm. So, like, obviously plants is just, like, that's how things, you know, work. You mm. do crops and Dad had a creek and that was revegetated. So it was always around plants. My focus was a lot on animals. So my first job, um, I worked at an aquarium Ooh. and I just love fish. That's my other like, you know, really crazy like obsession. Um, so, yeah, I got so involved in fish and I think that's where the water side came into everything. So I was learning about the different plant species that could be within aquariums and then I transferred that into like uh, aquascaping. So that's planting aquariums out mm-hmm. 
and you're using different lights and things like that to be able to get and excel those growths and They're different so fertilizers. They're so beautiful. Mm. The yeah. creations that people make. Do you uh, do that at home? I do, well? but I'm not. I don't spend. I don't put all the CO2 and things in it because mm-hmm. it's just. It's so time-consuming. So I use a whole lot of plants that are um, able just to be under, like, you know, really good LED light systems. And they're called, like, Bulbitis, which is a beautiful underwater fern. I've got Java moss, Java fern, hygrophilias, um, different types of hair grasses. So things like that. And I mix it through with, like, logs and rocks and things like that. So I went on this journey and then I did biosciences and zoology because I was like, I'm going to, like, work in zoos and make little places for these animals and then I was like this is getting real boring I'm really bad at chemistry (laughs) (laughs) genetics was my falling falling down point I didn't like the genetics it was kind of interesting but it was hard but Mm. oh my god chemistry and then physics oh yeah so then I went and I did landscape architecture and through there um, obviously I learned more planning but I did a lot I was still When I had left the aquarium from where I grew up, I worked at another one in Melbourne and that was fantastic. It was more a pet shop and aquarium, but I was like the fish and sort of reptile girl. So I'd look after the fish and the turtles and I'd make sure the tanks were all good and then I had all these planted tanks and then I had a side business. I created my own business where I did ponds up and all those sort of Mm. things. So I was just accumulating this side knowledge. Yeah. So it wasn't like going through the whole... Even though I was doing landscape architecture, but I wasn't really, like, doing all these other courses. It was just, like, really ground, (laughs) like, yeah, ground knowledge. So, yeah, then my ponds went into, like, massive ponds and then it went into massive wetlands. And then I was, like, (laughs) working with other people when I finished my degree. And then I was just, like, there's not enough um, gardens that are doing things for wildlife and all that sort of stuff. And I'm, like, everyone says that they're, like, environmental or they're they're doing these things with native plants. I'm, like, and they're not. (laughs) So I'm going to do it. <laughs> and that's how, that's where I am now, really. I love it. How long have you had STEM for? How long have you been running? Well, we, this will, by August, it'll be our fifth year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in the industry, when did I graduate? Must have been 2012. So it's been a bit, I've been 10 years in the industry now. So yep. about five years with other people. And then, yeah. Right, so there we go. Where did you go to or how did you learn the plant knowledge that you have? Because landscape architecture courses are notorious for not focusing on the plants. Mm. <laughs> it, I, I mean, I don't like saying bad things, but yes, it was it was terrible, I think. I don't know if it's obviously probably improved now, but I found that the plant IDs that we had in our course were very underquipped for what we would be going into. Um I think they fo- tried to focus more on like theoretical or more construction elements. The Which architecture is very but, important. It's so important, <laughs> but it kind of missed the landscape part. I yeah. Felt. So but it's not just. I don't think it's just where, wherever you went. Like that's known across. Is it? Yeah. Landscape. It's a sort of a gap in education. Yeah. I think it is something that they really need to look into um, helping and fixing up because you kind of go with a knowledge of what plants you use there, and you'll take it into your you know, your next employment mm. or someone else will obviously be a horticulturist in there or they'll take the job. So I, I just think it's a gap. But um, my knowledge came from what I learnt myself. Um, I would study like a lot of books. I would be out in gardens. I'd get obsessed in plants and trying to learn about them. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just a, a knowledge that I just built and built and built up. It was just ongoing studies. and um, But 
mainly interest. Yeah. Mm. I think we all are just fascinated and interested. And when you are interested, you retain that knowledge because mm. yeah. yeah. you're just like, I must know. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's also that recognition that you don't know everything. And so if you and don't you're know never something. And exactly. <laughs> you're never going to. Yeah. But you know where to look for the right answer yeah. or you know how to look for the right answer or who to ask for the mm-hmm. right answer. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Good. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a great, great story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Emma Heard, where did you, like your plant knowledge, where does that come from? Same question. Um, yeah, I would say I get it from my mum and dad. Like both of them loved plants um, and my grandfather too. Um, big into their veggie growing. Um, and from there I sort of developed a passion in plants and told my uh, careers advisor that and he said uh you should be a landscape architect and I said oh okay um so what what are, what are the plants in that you know where, where are the plants in that and and he was like oh you know well that's that's what it's all about and and as Emmeline's mentioned actually it's it's very difficult to get plant knowledge in those courses mm. so I actually studied um, an associate degree in environmental horticulture at Burnley mm. before going on to do landscape architecture yep. it was kind of a happy accident actually because um, I'd applied to RMIT and they lost me they they dropped me off their list and oh. Oh. and you're meant to do an interview to gain access and I just never got called up for my interview and so um, I got into Burnley instead mm. and I was very happy about that mm. um, I didn't feel like it was a, a second you know choice I really yeah. really loved it um, and I got to meet my husband there as well so that was nice, oh, that's <laughs> nice. that was really lovely <laughs> um, and then uh, applied back at RMIT and this time they lost my, my they lost my application again. Oh, no. But this time I called them up and I said, please, can I have an interview? And they were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so finally got in and did landscape architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started working in uh, wholesale nurseries in Warrnambool. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a wholesale and a retailer, actually. So I got good exposure to both. Um, a lot of bare-rooted roses. Oh, my gosh. Oh, in, in regional areas, they love their bare-rooted stock. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and those roses, they are vicious. vicious. And, <laughs> yeah, working in the winter in Warrnambool, digging out bare-rooted roses or digging them into the ground, Oof. like, ooh it is, it is not that enjoyable. But you, you develop grit, <laughs> and I think you need grit in yes. the hort industry. Absolutely. So it's definitely... Yeah. Uh, it's not a waste of time by any means. No. It's it's good. So I feel lucky that I got to work in, in different sectors of horticulture. Mm, yeah. And then um, I worked in a lot of retail nurseries whilst I was studying as well. So I worked at Town and Country Gardens and Pointons of Essendon and Garden World. Um, yeah, lots of great, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of great establishments and mm-hmm. lots of great plants people in all those establishments like yeah. um, Andrew Jones at Pointons, fantastic, James Wall, fantastic. Um, yeah, there's so many, so many great people mm. in in all those retail nurseries. They know their stuff. They do. I worked in a couple of retail nurseries as well and um, two of the women in particular that I worked with were just that worked in retail nurseries that was their job yeah that was their sort of that was their career and any question that people had that they brought into the nursery they had an answer for it Mm. any pest and disease id 
because I'd been at that particular nursery for so long, I sort of knew all the local mm. bugs that, that hung around and they're like, oh, yeah, we, you're in Warrandyte. Well, your soil's crap and um, that's why that particular plant is getting this particular yeah. pest on it because yeah. it's struggling or whatever. Yeah, Michelle Neal at Town and Country Gardens, she was fantastic and Marianne Hopkins, like really wonderful, knowledgeable people. Mm. It's so it's so important to recognise those people in in Hort because yep. um, sure they're getting paid to be on the job, but a lot of the time it, it's not a really high pay, mm-hmm. um, and they they finish their shift like sometimes a bit depleted because it, they give so much energy to mm. uh, educating, which yeah. is it's wonderful and a true asset. Yeah, mm. and it's the same with what we were talking about before, like the value of a nursery plant. Mm. Um, it that cost also, you know, pays for people's knowledge. Yeah, that's, I find it so funny. Yeah. People are like, oh, I don't want to pay retail prices for plants. I'm like, yeah, but you ask so many questions. And if you go into a wholesaler <laughs> and you have all those questions, like a wholesaler, you know, that's not what they're set up to do. Like they're mm. there for people that already have the knowledge mm. and know what they want. And so, yeah, retail, you're... You, that's in the cost. It's built into the cost. Yeah, you're so right. Getting That's a that really information. Good point. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And even more, I think I think it should be higher than sometimes. Yeah, and some plants are really hard to propagate, yes. and that's why they cost more. Or sometimes that's why maybe they should. Or cost there's more. been years of R and D into hybridizing this plant or creating it. Or yeah, so you know, not to be too preachy, but mm. plant. There's a lot involved in in plants. Yeah, <laughs> I sometimes think you know if we were if we were lawyers. We would be charging like five hundred bucks an hour <laughs> for our advice. I knew a lawyer getting six thousand an hour. Whoa! <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to talk about this afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I must remind our listeners that you are tuned into the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me in the studio this morning, I have Emmeline Bowman and Emmeline Hurd and Chloe Thompson. All very intelligent. Did I say you that? You said Emmeline Heard. <laughs> Two Emmeline. It was I bound read, to happen. I love yeah. it. I read the name Emmeline and then I read Heard on my paper. <laughs> Emmeline Bowman, STEM Landscapes. Emma Heard, Little Green Landscapes. And Chloe Thompson, Sprout School, Been There, Dug That. Chloe Foster, sitting right here. That's my name. <laughs> if you have any questions or you want to chat to us, please call in. Um... You know, we don't want to listen to our voices all morning. Uh, 94190155. The text oh. line is 0488 809 uh, We have had someone um, message in asking a question. Uh, Mick from Epping wants to know about the plants. Um, I think he wants us to talk more about plants. Uh, yeah. More, which we will get on to the plants. So Emma and M. You guys brought in some plants. Mm-hmm. What, Emma Heard? What is this? Yeah. Ah. So I brought in an Angioteris evecta, um, which is a king fern. Um, oh, I love the king ferns. Yeah. So um, they're one. I think they're the largest uh, fern species there is. Um, they can get seven meters by Whoa. seven meters, and the 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 crown or the the rhizomatic. Uh, trunk can get a meter or a meter and a half high on its own um and so they're they're just a beautiful um foliage they're sort of 
the leaves are gorgeous, bipinnate. Um, how to explain them? Gorgeous, uh, rough edges around each little segment and leaflet. And I mean, they're green and glossy and sort of lime green in the center and a darker green to the edge of the leaf. Mm. Um, the new leaves come out like, like most ferns do with that beautiful curl of the frond, which is just so delicious in plants mm. and <laughs> ferns in particular. I really love it. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful plant. I would say in Victoria, probably have to keep it as an indoor plant unless you have um, a, a very uh, frost-free area, which, mm. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne is, mm. is frost-free. So, but you need a big space. Mm. You need um, – it will deal with like a clay loam. Okay. So quite a rich soil is good as long as it's free-draining. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful plant for anyone wanting a large fern and creating shade mm. as well. And they're fairly fast-growing is my understanding. What's their water requirement? Mm, I think it's quite intensive. They yep. do like a damp soil. Mm. Um, so, yeah, probably somewhere that is already semi-shaded, especially the the roots to be semi-shaded. Once they're up, I think they can handle some sun, but not, not afternoon sun, mm. probably morning sun, afternoon shade. Um, and, and it's kind of a living fossil cause they have, you know, fossilized parts of it from like 300 million years ago. So mm, it's, wow. it's a pretty cool plant. <laughs> I love those, cool. those old fossil plants. Yeah. <laughs> what have you got there? Emma? I brought this in cause Emma was, oh, this is just quite by coincidence, but you were talking about, um, you're bringing in the botanical gardens. Yeah. So this is a, a native rhododendron from Queensland and I brought it in. It's not in the best nick to be honest, but I got it. A couple of weeks ago at the rare plant sale, Beautiful. but yeah, it's our own native rhododendron, which is really cool. Now I do have one of these at home, and I've got it underneath the um, patio, and it's a stunning plant. It's got a really lovely form. Um, it comes right out, and you get these beautiful, vibrant, um, reddy, pinky flowers. So mm. this is rhododendron viriosum see i've got to remember this one so <laughs> common name australian rhododendron so it might be something that people would love to have a look at because i always talk about how you know i'm obviously a, an advocate for a lot of native plants but you can have these substitutes to some native varieties and you can still get the same sort of form mm. so this one's a real stunner so i thought i'd bring it in because yeah it and to be honest i've had it in one in a pot like a and it's doing so well. So for those people who just want to have like little specimens, mm, yep. it's been so good. And I bring it inside the kitchen park because I have a massive window and it does really well in there. So I'm really interested to know if it's a bit of an indoor plant too. Yeah, potential. Oh. Yeah. yeah Does it like the acidic, acidic soils as well? Um, so I have I, – I, I'm going to do a bit of a trial actually because mm-hmm. what I did with the other one is I just put it in a PT and a bit of a rhododendron mix. Yep. Um, and it's doing really well. And the next one I'm going to put in just in normal potting mix because I think that's just normal potting that mix. Like mm. And mm. I would say that is. But, um, yeah, mm. I guess. Experiment. Experiment. Yeah. They're really good pot specimens. I had one in a, a quite a high pot mm. for a number of years yeah. and none of the sort of typical rhododendron issues with them. Yeah. And then moved it into the ground yeah. and started to get the lace bug right. drips on them. So I reckon they're better in pots. Well, you can see here, I got this and it looks like it's got it's like, like a, a rock. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. So, yeah. So 
it looks like that it does get quite susceptible to those things. Mm. But the one that I have at home is fantastic. Mm. But that's just one of the plants I brought in. Mm. Good. Yeah. Well, we've finally had a caller uh, calling. Good morning to Rosie from Mitcham. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Girls, lovely hearing uh, you. Sorry, I'm getting feedback here, so um, I'll try and ignore that. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm calling about putting coffee grounds. Oh, now I'm not getting feedback. Oh, it's just when you talk to me, I am. Uh, sorry, I'll get on to what I'm talking about. Uh, coffee grounds. I pick up coffee grounds from the local coffee shop. I hate stuff going to landfill that that is good for the earth. And um, um, But I'm getting far too much. Uh, and I'm thinking how much coffee grounds, how many buckets and buckets mm. of coffee grounds um, is too much for one's garden. There's been some fascinating things I've noticed, that earthworms will move into pure coffee grounds. Yeah, it they love coffee grounds. You, uh, you'd think it'd be so, I don't know, strong. <laughs> you think it'd give them the jitters. Caffeinated <laughs> 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 worms. Yeah, <laughs> Um, so I am buoyed by that. I'm thinking, okay, if they can live in pure coffee grounds, maybe it's not bad to just keep putting buckets and buckets. I'm starting to make mountains of coffee grounds, oh. and I don't know what. Well, you, you know, drink because, a lot of coffee. No, I coffee. don't. Oh. I don't drink any coffee. I've sworn myself off coffee, but okay. I go to the coffee shop, and um, oh. I don't like them putting it in rubbish bins. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good and of I you, Rosie. It'd be good if there was some system, you know, like um, paper and cardboard is all taken care of mm. by Wazy. We really need someone who will, uh, you know, pick up the organic stuff. For there is a company called yeah. Reground that do collect coffee grounds from local cafes. I'm not sure if they charge a fee. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure of their, their fee structure, but I do know they collect coffee grounds and um, create... Um, uh, an output Compost. from it. And there was yeah, the compost. mushroom, those two guys that collected Yeah, life cycle mushrooms. Life cycle yeah, mushrooms. they were make growing mushroom kits and, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, from mycelium. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other thing with comp- uh, composting coffee grounds, Rosie, is even though coffee grounds are brown, in a composting situation, they're considered a green because they're so high in nitrogen. So if you are putting them in your compost, think of them as putting in a green, so like mm. your food scraps and your, your green waste clippings. So you do need to back that up with the same amount, if not a l- more, browns in mm. your compost. So you know, Cardboard. G- yeah, cardboard, shredded paper, shredded newspaper, Dried all the beautiful leaves. autumn leaves. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So just make sure that you're really getting that brown up as well if you are using them in your compost. What I tend to do with them, because I'm always in such a hurry, um, (laughs) I'm a very busy person, I tend to just chuck the bucket of coffee grounds on the ground somewhere um, in my backyard. Um, So I've got to deal with that sometime. um, Because if I put the whole bucket full in my compost bin, Mm -hmm. it's all going to be in that solid bucket. You know, it's not going to get... Yeah, you'd need to really break it up and maybe get one of those good compost stirrers that you can stir Mm. it through to get a good bit of airflow happening in there and then making sure you're adding the other ingredients as well. Yes, uh, like you say, and I think it was Diggers Club, uh, one of their videos recommended um, 
three parts brown to one part green. And I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. oh, my goodness, mm, I'm in trouble yeah. because I also pick up the vegetable scraps from the local fruiterer. Oh, good on oh, you. Green, green, work. green. I know. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Definitely a lot of greens. But Please, is it? You can see why I'm really, really busy because I bring those boxes of, of green waste home and chop it up with a, a spade. Yep. And chuck it in and I've got someone who's giving me shredded paper and I pick up the autumn leaves and run over them with a mower. Good job. Um, it's really hard work. <laughs> I should make a business of these composting yeah. material. We should oh, get people to buy it from you. Yeah. Um, you're doing yeah, all the right things. A, yeah, you're I'm definitely really, doing all the right things. Mm, I think just follow um, that mantra that brown is best yeah. and then chuck in the rest. Yeah, so, yeah brown really is make best sure you... and chuck in the rest. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I, I use all of this compost in my own garden. I've got it fairly, you know, I'm on 900 square metres or something. So... Uh, I use it all in my own garden and I've done nature strip gardens. My neighbour let me do their nature strip around the corner. So I use all this compost for improving my own soil and the nature strip soil. Oh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, bottom line, my question was how much coffee grounds is it going to change? The, someone said, be careful, it will raise your pH, the acid. Oh, is that lower? That's the pH? lowering. Yeah. Um, the look, pH. if if it was in extreme quantities, yes, perhaps. But maybe if you're just lumping it into a great big pile and you're not spreading it out evenly, then yes, there is a chance of that. Um, but through the composting process, you would neutralise it, so your compost would come out as a neutral pH at the end. So oh, I think okay. so long as you're, yeah. you're, so long as, yeah, you're composting with a complete compost, you know, lots of browns, and perhaps rather than dumping it in one big spot, I'd be trying to spread it out as a bit more of a layer, a thin layer. Yeah, I do a bit of that too, just chuck it across the garden beds and stuff. But what you've said is really valuable. Get it into the compost bin and it will change, it, it will then all even out. Yep. Yeah? The, yep. the pH will be okay. Okay, thank you very much, girls. So inspiring listening to you. You all sound amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're amazing. Yeah, what you're yeah. doing is so heartwarming. As much as you do. That's, yeah. I love it. Thank you. Uh, thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah, bye. Uh, we've had a couple of text messages come in. Emma, could you please repeat the name of the fern that you were talking about? Sure. Uh, it's called... An angioterrace evector. So I can spell that for you. Or, or um, pronounce it phonetically. Oh, yes. <laughs> Pateris. Uh, so angiopateris. Uh, A-N-G-I-O-P-T-E-R-I-S. And then evector, E-V-E-C-T-A. Um, thank you, Emma. Uh, someone else, Nicola from Eltham, has texted in saying that I'd just like you girls to know that my king ferns come here to die. <laughs> maybe a little bit more water or maybe try to manage the watering a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Nicola, and, and research the name, research that plant and find out what its natural conditions are when it's in the wild and see if you are providing them or maybe what you're not providing mm. inside and, and, and what you can do to try to balance that out. I would say ferns in particular are quite um, sensitive to the water that you use. So uh, this is going to sound a bit pedantic, but if you're using uh, treated tap water, I would try and pop it in a bowl and put it outside for 24 hours and just let it mm. kind of 
lose some of its chemicals. Yeah. Um, or collect some yeah. rainwater. Yeah. Fluoride. Yeah. Chloride and, and fluoride and... And I don't know, well, part of the water we're getting is used from the desal plant, I think 30%. Mm. So you don't know what the general hardness is of your water as well. Mm. This is from fish tank world. So, like, (laughs) you have hardness Mm. levels in your water and they can all affect it. And they're things that we don't really test for unless you've got fish kits. So if you can use rainwater, Mm. that's also great. Which is a good soft water, which is what they would probably like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had another message come through on the text line a community announcement um today is the melbourne begonia society's final day in their annual begonia begonia sale it's on from 10 till 3 p.m in the moorabbin senior citizens hall 964 nepean highway moorabbin entry is five dollars for adults and three dollars for concession they've got a really large Variety of begonias available, rhizome, tuberous, cane and shrub begonias. Uh, and that's in the Moorabbin Senior Citizens Hall from 10 till 3 today. Uh, we do have another caller coming through. Good morning, Roger from Berwick. Good morning, Chloe. How are you? I'm good. Have you been behaving yourself, Mr Elliot? No. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was just interesting with the woman calling in about coffee grounds and stuff. Um, sometimes it's good just to spread the coffee grounds around as a as a mulch, but just very thinly around rather than dumping it in spots because mm. sometimes there can be a few problems if you put too much in one area. Um, and, yeah, it's great for compost. We do that. The other thing I was going to talk about, many moons ago... Gwen and I were visiting Missouri Botanic Garden and they had a, in their master gardener section, they had examples of all a whole range of different types of mulch. And the best success they were having, this was on vegetables actually, Hmm. was using human hair. Hmm. I've Um, heard a little bit about this, but please go on. And uh, that that is really, really great, you know, so if you've got your local hairdresser wants to get rid of all their hair, grab it mm-hmm. and uh, and you can stick it in your compost. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I know one thing we I just tried for a little while. After vacuuming, I would empty what we got out of the vacuum cleaner onto our rhubarb and our rhubarb was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. There you go. And cause, usually I stick it in the compost bin. Yeah. But um, so... Yeah, there's things, things like that. And I know way back when they were doing some initial research down at the Cranbourne Gardens, the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne, uh, in trying to work out what sort of additive they would add to the sand there, uh, they did trials and they did use sheep's wool as one of the yeah. uh, one of the things. And they had great growth, really too much growth, mm. but... You know, things like that can be useful, especially for veggie gardens and things. So, mm. uh, I've also anyway. heard that the human hair keeps pests away. I'm not sure about the validity of that, but someone did tell me mm. that uh, it will keep, especially like possums and deer mm. away. Dog <laughs> hair. I think we had a caller earlier on this year say that they've used some form of maybe yeah. hair from the hairdressers to keep possums away. Yeah, and dog hair is another one, yeah. apparently. Yeah, dog hair hung in stock old stockings. 
Yeah, yeah, popped in like lemon trees and things that possums love or along their little highway. Yeah. I've never tried it, but people mm. say it works. I don't know. I kind of get a bit of an ick feeling from I it. I know. Yeah. So, like, I, I should test it before I keep telling people, I but <laughs> it just seems interesting. Yeah. My dog doesn't molt enough to collect hair. Mm. I put my... my this is too much information. My my hairbrush hair goes into the yeah. compost yeah, bin. Yeah, did it? But yeah. I, as hair as mulch, I haven't really considered before. Yeah, mm. interesting. Yeah. Thanks for telling yeah, us about it. All righty. As always, thank you, Roger. We'll chat Bye. to you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me this morning I have Emmeline Bowman, Emma Hurd, and Chloe Thompson. Uh, we've had another text message come in. Um, Kim has informed us that she recently got a Border Collie puppy and up until this point she had a great garden, Um, Mm. but the puppy loves running and moving anything in a pot and scratching the grass up. Um, Have you guys got any ideas to keep him away from the special plants? Mm. She's used some trellis, but he keeps jumping over it. Any ideas? I I actually had a garden that we're doing at the moment and Nettie... He's um, he's a cavalier cross, some, uh, yeah, something else, something boisterous. <laughs> and we've created a garden and he does the same thing. And what we've done is we've actually made it where there's large rocks and quite intense shrubbery and then we've made little tracks for him. But there is no lawn. It's eliminated because that's just, that's going to be their ground. I guess it's, it's that thing where, you know, you've got a border collie, they need to be able to run and mm. all those sort of things. But, you know, uh, creating like these, you know, the trellis is one thing, but, you know, maybe you could make it more ornamental by putting big boulders or something like that. So there's protective areas and then there's designated areas for doggo. Mm. So that's sort of how we plan this other garden. There's all these areas for you, there's areas for the garden and there's areas for doggo. Mm. So that mm. could be one way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, Good luck, Kim, and uh, keep us posted. Mm. Em, have you got any other plants that you brought in? Yeah. Yeah, look at the smile on your face. I've got all that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a tomato. Oh, we'll start tomato. So I've got tomato purpurea. I think this is a with oh, solanaceae, so it's like tomato. But um, this is a great – all your tomaceas are a wonderful species that you can pop in the ground and they're pretty hardy mm. so I've just had a whole lot of them we, we bought a property up in Warburton so I've just been planting a few plants through there and this one's a really good sit and forget so yeah wanted to bring that in to show everyone because it's a cool little plant it gets a bit bigger this one so this one gets 0.5 to 1.5 height and width so it does it can obviously depending on its conditions can get quite big um, it's got little purple star flowers. Yeah, so exactly like, you know, anything. This sort of looks like a little tomato flower. It does, flowers. It? Like, yeah, but purple. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But when when in mass, it's it's quite purple. Mm. <laughs> so it's a really lovely little native um, yeah, very flowering Very dry tolerant. Very dry. That's yeah. why I'm saying like very good to just let it go. And yeah. Just... A bit like a courier in terms of its glaucous kind of leaf. Yeah. Um, and it's got little hairs on the little leaf. So yeah. it's a very interesting plant. At the moment, this one that I've brought in is obviously a little bit long and leggy, but it does shrub up. So it's a very nice yeah. one. There's one I really want to introduce though. This is one of my favourites at the moment because I'm a big fan of all the Veronicas. <laughs> 
Um, not just the music. <laughs> not just the music. No, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are they the twins? What's that yeah. Like? Oh. Yeah, nah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this one's Veronica Arenaria. So you'll find this one up New South Wales um, coast, maybe bordering on the base of Queensland. Veronica, I don't know if other people are aware of it. We've got um, Veronica um, perfoliata, a lot of ones down here, but they're a beautiful meadow plant that you could probably bring into your garden, a really lovely native one. The bees love it. If I could describe it, it has really fine, soft foliage. And then all on the tips, like most Veronicas, just a profusion of little flower heads that spread all the way to the top. So what would you say? A bit salvia-looking in a way. A little bit salvia-looking, yeah. But it's a beautiful one. You can put this on mass in your garden. Now this one gets, it's about 80 80 centimetres height and wide. So imagine on that on mass and you get this beautiful purple profusion. And I tend to like putting things like um, the brachyscone basalticas and things like that, which is a white daisy. So you get this Mm. like little meadow effect and you can have pops of like bulbine lilies or things like Mm. that. I just think it's a real stunner. So there's some beautiful combinations. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's the thing, like the, when you get those flowering species with that, you know, top right flower, you can just get that beautiful meadow look. And again, I'm just sort of promoting some of the native species that you can get because I love salvias, I love agastachies, I love all those sort of things, I love echinaceas. But if you wanted to bring some of those little native meadow species plants, veronicas, um, brachyscomes, the brachyscome basalticas, mm. um, wallenbergias, isotomas, they are all got this great thing. You can get that instant effect. That, the veronica that you brought in today does not look like your typical it, Australian native plant. And it doesn't. So no. if anyone there, it's called veronica arenaria. It's A-R-E-N-A-R-I-A. And its common name is a cottage speedwell. So, Yeah. I, I've got these planted in my garden and I yep. get the blue banded bees hanging around these guys. Yes, likewise. Yeah. So a really good – and I, I'm guessing because blue banded bees pu- buzz pollinate. Yep. So there might be something so – sometimes you see when these when the bees go and the vibrations there, that's when they excrete mm. their pollen as well or the, the flower will. So it's mm. like there's a bit of a relationship there. So – Blue-banded bees are cool. Yeah. We want them. We yes. do want them. Yeah. It's a, it's a good species to have around as sort of a pollinator plant in a yes. veggie garden too because the blue-banded bees help pollinate tomato plants. Yes. So just, again, all the, all the food. Yeah. And when we, we do a bit of like, you know, your cottage gardens and we definitely bring in a lot of European species because you do want the European honeybees for all like your productive mm. gardens. But having that native... Uh, meadow plants through it as well you're encouraging your local species as well so you're not only protecting them but you're also creating you know a difference in pollination for all your different species so it's Mm. really cool and really important so don't just go lavender go lavender and go veronica and go all those (laughs) different things and the foliage of the veronica is really beautiful actually this one's cool it's very different because the other ones tend to be real thick sort of look like gum leaves especially the ones like yeah Veronica Porfoliata, they just, you can put them under trees. This one's a bit more delicate. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, very pretty. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. That's um, I have got a massive orange collection of things going over here on my desk. So I brought in some of my beautiful dahlias. These are some of my favourite flowers to grow oh, in my garden. They don't look real. They don't look real, do they? <laughs> uh, and the one I'm holding up is got a head about the size of my um, palm or even a bit bigger. And it's got a lovely orange and yellow head to it. Um, I call this my lion because <laughs> it really does. Yeah. It looks like a lion's mane. Mm. Um, I discovered growing dahlias actually when I gave a presentation to the Dahlia Society of Victoria. At the time I was working for an organic fertiliser company and I was talking about how to use their fertilisers and you know crop protectant products and things. Um, and I rocked up to this Dahlia Society and I said, well, I've got a confession to make. I've never grown a Dahlia in my life. <laughs> but I can tell you about how to fertilise and, you know, pest control. Mm. So we talked about that. And then at the end of it, the beautiful people from the Dahlia Society said, well, here's some tubers. Here's, you know, a little booklet that tells you how to grow them. Off you go and grow them. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to kill these. What a bit of pressure. But anyway, I went home and popped in. I think it was four tubers. Well, I now have about 12 different plants. Wow. <laughs> um, and they grow like wildfire. Yeah. They're pretty addictive too. Like, they are and, very addictive. And they're fun to share with hot friends because mm. you get one variety and then you trade together. <laughs> yeah. It's just like got to catch them all kind and, of. I, and that's it. Because of the tuber, it's great to buy when there is a tuber and they just come in the post. Yeah, um, so yeah they come in a huge range of colours. I definitely have a thing for yellow and orange flowers mm-hmm. in my garden. If people follow me on Instagram, they know that. <laughs> you love yellow. I love yellow especially. <laughs> Um, and then I brought in some of my quirky gourds that oh. I grew this season. Oh, my gourd. So I've got a warty gourd. Warty gourd. Um, Did you say, <laughs> oh, my gourd, I, Chloe? Oh, my, oh gourd. my God. Oh, no. <laughs> so this is a warty gourd and it, it looks a little bit like a pear, but it's yellow with orange stripes and then it is actually covered in warts all over it. <laughs> it um, now, it's not edible, but I grew them this year because, A, I thought they were just the funkiest looking plant. Uh, or fruit rather. The plant just obviously looks like a, any other kirkabit vine or pumpkin vine. Um, and I grew it up over a trellis, so all these oh, hung down yeah. off the trellis. It just looked really cute in the yes. garden. Um, and I'm going to dry them and I'm not sure, maybe use them as autumnal decorations or perhaps even something like a Christmas decoration. Um, and then another little gourd oh. here I've got is the mini gourd. Uh, and it's it's almost two-toned. It looks mm. like it's been dipped, doesn't it? It, does. yeah. it doesn't look real because it's so perfect. Exactly. <laughs> so, again, it's pear-shaped, <gasps> smaller pear-shaped, uh, and it's yellow with orange stripes. But then the bottom half of it is actually mottled green with green stripes. So it really looks like someone's dunked it in a little pot of yeah. green paint at the bottom. Do you think if you dried it, it would keep its colour as vibrant? Apparently they do retain their colour. Yeah. I've never dried them, so I don't know how much they retain their colour. I was asking at the diggers stand at Mifkus, you know, how do you dry them? And they said, well, ours aren't dried. They're just picked fresh and mm. put on the stand. Um, so they're starting to dry. I'm, I'm noticing that the weight is not as um, heavy as they were. Uh, and Make yeah. some cute little instruments, like the little, little maracas. <laughs> I just think they're the cutest little thing. I know they're not edible, but they're just mm. too cute. Yeah, they're beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Not everything has to have amenity to it. Well, things can be for beauty. And, yeah. um, and I've, you know, put these on mass on my table and mm. they just looked like a gorgeous little autumn decoration. And that, that lasts yeah. for a while too, so you don't have to change it over too often. Exactly. <laughs> that so divine. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those, Chloe. Uh, listeners, you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me this morning I have Emmeline Bowman and Emma Hurd, landscape architects, and Chloe Thompson, horticulturalist and founder of Sprout School. 
Uh, we've had a few text messages come in. People are waking up. Um, on the Tamasias, um, Roger has messaged in saying there's a new book out on the Tamasias and their relatives called Lantern Bushes. And it's written by Trevor Blake, who is an expert on uh, those species and those genera. It's available in the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria shops at Cranbourne and Melbourne. It might be somewhere online too. So if you I think Google, they'd probably have it at Karanga too. I yes, imagine. I think I've seen it at Karanga. It's a great yeah. book. I actually know Trevor. He lives on Emmeline Street. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow, what a cute little overlap. Hello to Trevor if you need you're to buy tuning. his book. Yeah, I need to get <laughs> yeah. that one too. Yeah. So it's called Lantern Bushes by Trevor Blake. Mm. Uh, we oh we've got another call and I this is to do with uh, fencing for the border collie so jill mm. in east brighton are you there yes i am thank you for waiting oh that's okay fantastic show you're doing a great job there all of you thank um you. yes look i it's just that um i felt for the for the lady with the border collie pup uh we've had the staffordshire bull terriers which are a very active breed for 43 years and i'm also a very keen gardener and people say, oh, how can you have such a nice garden when you've got such, you know, full-on dogs? Mm. And um, two, two possible suggestions. Mm. One is, we, because we're working and so on, we've always had two dogs um, to keep each other company and so on. Uh, and we find that they work a lot of their energy off on each other. So I know it sounds really counterintuitive counter that oh, two dogs should get twice the damage, but mm. in fact, they have the company, uh, which I think a lot of the destructive behaviour in the garden is out of boredom and loneliness. They're mm. trying to, you know, especially an intelligent breed like a border collie, is looking for things to do. And if it has a playmate, it's great. Mm. Um, so that's just one thing. I mean, you know, it might not. The other thing was we did have one staffy that was a real digger in the lawn, mm. and I tried all the usual things. But what I found worked absolutely brilliantly was I got some of that green plastic trellis and some cheap tent pegs from Ray's Tent City, and um, which I don't even know if they exist anymore, but, you know, you can get cheap tent pegs from Bunnings, I suppose. Uh, and I just pinned it down over the lawn, and the lawn grew up through it, so you didn't know it was there. But when the dog dug, it couldn't dig. Oh, oh. that is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I actually suggested it um, to, um, oh, gee, sorry, ageing brain. Um, <laughs> you know, the lovely guy from Cloud Hill. Oh, Jeremy? Jeremy. Jeremy, yes, uh, because he was complaining about the lyrebirds raking up his lawn. <laughs> and, and do you uh, lift the the green mesh when you mow the lawn? Or? No, no. No, you leave lawn, it. Okay. You, I, I, I just pinned it down really flat, like mm. against the earth, uh, with the tent pegs hammered down in, in two, so the lawn, the mower uh, clears them easily. Mm. Oh, That's good. such a good idea. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Thank you for that tip. Setting. Thank yeah. you, Jill. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I hope that has helped Kim out there. <laughs> yes, well, she's probably just having a fit at the idea of getting a second puppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, we found that to work really well, and the dogs are just so much happier, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Anyway, Thank you. great dog. Thank no you worries. so much, Jill. Have a good day. Okay. You too. All the best. Bye. Bye. Uh, our phone number again is 94190155 if you want to give us a call and um, ask your questions or if you've got any suggestions for us on air today. I have Emmeline Bowman, Emma Hurd, and Chloe Thompson in the studio with me. Uh, there was a text 
come in um, asking about striking abutilin cuttings. Has anyone done? They're the, the Chinese yeah, lanterns. Chinese lanterns. Yeah. I've done it before. Um, Tips you, and tricks, Emma. They do like to be kept a little bit warm once you've done the cutting. So if you can keep it in a warm window, um, but that can be said for a lot of things. Mm. Um, if it doesn't work the first time, just popping it in soil. Um, try again and use a little bit of hormone. Um, yeah, the, I find the liquid ones work better than the powder ones. Mm. Um, yeah, and you can get uh, a soft wood liquid hormone or you can get a hardwood one. I would use the soft to semi-hardwood one for a butylin. Good. Um, and a time of year or they sort of do um, it any time? You could, I think you could do it any time actually. Yeah. They're, an, they're an evergreen plant. I mean, yeah. maybe when they're not flowering yeah. would be better. Yep. Um, if they yeah. do flower buds on them, you, you could pick them up. Yeah, you can take the flower buds off. Yep. That's fine. You want that energy to go into creating plant roots, not creating mm-hmm. flowers. Uh, we've had a lovely text message come in saying, great to hear all the women in horticulture on the waves this morning. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. <laughs> go on Absolutely. And a question for aimed at Emmeline. Okay. Uh, I would absolutely – no, what did she got? Uh, she wants her creek and dam to be professionally landscaped, but Ooh. the browsing of deer, rabbits and kangaroos mm. <laughs> has her concern. The nemesis. She's, and she's not sure um, – Cindy out in Eltham. Um, yeah. She's not sure how those sort of pressures would influence. So the deers your... are so bad. And there's like it's honestly there needs to be something done about – how many deer in our mm. ecosystems at the moment it's an absolute disaster mm. seriously because we've got a house in warburton i have never seen so many and the devastation that they do is shocking especially to waterways and to waterways That's their thoroughfare mm. they use them as like nighttime highways exactly <laughs> in fact a lot of animals do and that makes mm. it even worse because they're sort of you know impacting how other animals use these spaces mm. too my short answer is it is it is quite difficult and you it, I've found that you you have to introduce larger species that are capable to be able to withhold like the attack after a certain bit of time so you have to be able to fence them off and make sure they get to a certain mature um, stage really sadly and unfortunately all that really herbaceous stuff that I plant into these systems they get gobbled up by mm, these animals yep. and they're like um, lollies for they them. are yeah. like lollies mm. and they tra- and they hoof in there and they destroy all of the the you know the the soil bank they they the all i can say is they're an absolute devastation and it and it's a, it's a crime honestly mm. and there is no way unless you are absolutely able to fence the whole area off mm. from being able to let those animals enter but when you do that you're not letting other animals enter yeah. either so i don't have an absolute answer for that but all i can say is what we do is we bring in trees and plants that can withstand the attack mm. And it means that the landscape in this area is going to have to change yeah. because that's unfortunately what is going to happen. You're going to lose those smaller species. So it and can that- still be done. You can still make it beautiful, but we have to adapt our thinkings to be able to cope with these animals unless the government or people mm. actually go, okay, enough is enough. We can't have these animals in here for hunting anymore. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They're out. Yeah, mm, honestly, I just I would say yeah. as well get in touch with your local land care group because yes. a lot of them have 
very strong knowledge about what will and won't work. So at least you can form your foundation of species mm. that will uh, stand up to the test or at least you'll know uh, a schedule at when to plant them and how to protect them. Um, I know uh, the Sassafras Creek community um, uh, planters near us, they're very diligent in planting out the creek and, and protecting them and so they've got a lot of great knowledge about yeah. the local area. So your your area will probably have some passionate mm-hmm. land care people as well. Protect it, yeah. yeah, and try and advocate with your local council to please do something about the deer. Yeah, mm. everyone needs to. I think everyone as a collective needs to get on top of it. Sure. Yep. But, yeah, yeah. If, if you did want to get in contact, go to um, my website and just um, you can have a phone chat if you wanted to look into different ways of landscaping and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, further chat. What's your website? Just so simple. Oh, sorry, can it's stemlandscape.com. So www.stemlandscape.com. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, that number again is 94190155 uh, to talk to us on air. And the text line is 0488809855. If you don't want to chat to us on air, you can talk to uh, Rosie and Byrne on the phones and they can pass a message through to us. Um, some encouragement from uh, our friend Susie. Love listening and learning to the M's and Chloe's today. <laughs> Great program. And we wish you were here for coffee too. <laughs> Are there, Emma, there's a plant that we haven't spoken about that you brought in. Ah, yes. Tell us about it. So I brought in an Oxalis stipularis, which is, um, there are plenty of Oxaluses, mm. but um, Oxalis triangularis tends to get a lot of attention. So this Oxalis stipularis is a beautiful green Oxalis with three sort of wishbone shaped segments Ooh. of leaflets. Good description. They're, mm. they're really so sweet and it has a beautiful um, little bract of dainty mauve flowers that unfortunately have finished at this point on mine but the leaves alone are really gorgeous and I think you know if you are a fan of Oxalis triangularis this one sitting next to it they they quite they contrast quite well and offset each other really in a lovely way Mm. um yeah definitely love some different oxaluses. I do keep this one indoors. Um, I, I don't believe it's invasive, but I wouldn't advocate planting it in the ground. Yep, fair enough. Thank you. Uh, there's a couple of other plants that you've just brought up to the page. I really want to show, really want to show these because they're fun. Yep. Okay, so I brought in a grass, so I tend to use a lot of power, but this one's a bit cooler. <laughs> you have a preference towards this species. Well, it's lemon-scented Ooh. and it's native. Mm. Better. So I'll Chip off a little bit for everyone to oh, smell. Oh, yes, please. Mm. I haven't had breakfast a... yet. Is it edible? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You can oh, yeah. put it in your food. I didn't know that this yes. one was. So oh. I have a really hard time saying the name. So Simbopogon ambiguous. There we go. Simbopogon ambiguous. Lemon-scented grass. It's a very easy. I wanted mm. to go through It's yeah. delicious. It's lovely. Um, and oh, yum. it's. It's almost a smoky lemon. Yeah, it's very unique. So you can mix it in instead of having like poa and you can have this lemon-scented grass. Um, It gets to – it can get to two metres, so it's quite a big grass when it starts to clump out. So it could be a really lovely space. If you have a larger garden, it's a really lovely one to have. But mixing that through with poa, it's a really fine foliage. It's 
bluey grey in colour. Mm. It's very, very pretty and it just really ties well into the garden. Very mm. contemporary sort of look to it. It's yep. almost like a savoury smelling lemon. Yeah, it, maybe that's it. A savoury. Yeah. 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 And you can you can break it and put it into your stir fries. Yeah. And yeah, it's good. It'd be nice mm. in a cup of tea. That's just beautiful. Beautiful. It'd be nice yeah. with yeah. a cup of tea. And you can kind of like when you break it, it just keeps breaking. It's not like it's a normal yeah, sort grass. of like pine mm. needles. Yeah. The way yeah. it snaps. Very it just stiff. snaps. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you could chop that really finely as sort of like a thyme or something like mm. that. The other one I wanted Yum. just to bring up is... Just say its name again. So oh, sorry. Yep. I'm going to spell it out for everyone. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. Um, C-Y-M-B-O-P-O-G-O-N, Cymopogon, and Ambiguous is A-M-B-I-G-W-S. And common name, lemon-scented grass. Very easy. But Delicious. It's great. I know that Karanga definitely has. There'd probably be some other retail, maybe some of the bigger retail nurseries would stock it. Uh, yes, I think. No, well, I found, I, I got this from Karanga. Okay. So Karanga might be getting it from somewhere else. But, man, I love Karanga now that I live really close there. <laughs> Dangerous. And that is where we talked before about the death of plants. It's Karanga. I go to Karanga and get very excited. You're going to have to have a meet up there. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, there oh. is a coffee shop. So. Yeah. Yes. And they've got and the, new chefs too. It's pretty exciting. The food there is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and my other one, this yeah. is last, is... Our little green hoods, so Terrastylus mm. newtons. So they're all coming out now. Um, I have these in really lovely ornamental pots. Now, like all orchids, they obviously disappear. But these little green hoods, they're so easy to have at home. And they don't have any flowers on it just yet. We've just got this fleshy green foliage coming out. But you get these gorgeous little green little flower heads. They sort of they call them nodding green hoods. Mm. So I can't. Mm. I can't really explain it, but they—that's that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah, yeah. Description. Common name. Yeah. They sort of look like a little serpent. Yes, they yeah, do. Like little, little, yeah, they yeah, like little of, snakes. Coming yeah, maybe little maybe snakes. people don't like that, but they're oh, really but they're lovely. Very cute. <laughs> they are very cute, and I have them in really lovely pots at home, and I think they're a delight because. When they all start coming up, I have these beautiful little bowls. And then when they sort of finish off, I put them aside somewhere and like, oh. But please don't forget about them when, yeah. you, when they do finish because you've still got to water them. Yep. Um, there's some, just to keep these happy, they're in a normal orchid mix, but on top put like alocasherina needles and things like that on top. Mm. You don't really have to do that. I've found mine are just fine in a pot. But, yeah, the terrastylus are coming out now, guys. So be What on do the on needles your... do? Um, it's... They've, it's more like a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Sometimes you're sort of stimulating that, um, you know, the mycorrhizal fungies and things like that. So the, the terrastylus aren't, they don't really need that symbiotic but relationship. it's a nice like, to do. It's a yeah. nice to do. And or if, in the landscape where these are from, you probably will find that. So obviously when I bought this one, it's obviously these people thought that there's a really good relationship happened, so it's very good to sort of learn mm, and go. Hmm, that's maybe that's such a cool little yeah. Tip. So it's probably something to definitely investigate a little bit more. The mm. orchid conservation program that they have at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, where yeah. they hold the sort of the collections for the stuff they're growing to put back out yeah. into the wild, uh, they use the um, alocasia leaves yep. on all of their pots and that's where i got it from oh <laughs> so there we go yeah there we go i saw a bandicoot there i was very excited oh. we'll talk about them next yeah. oh. uh, we must say good morning to uh lorraine in croydon how are you i'm well how are you we're good thank you really enjoyed your program today thank you very oh, much good. 
Um, talking about the deer problem, this yeah. idea is not going to be much use for public spaces because um, of the cost. But on a private property, I've got a friend uh, who's involved in starting a lovely Buddhist centre at Thornton with lots of productive garden and beautiful gardens and the deer just decimate everything. Mm. And what they've done is put two rows of fencing and it's not uh, really expensive fencing either, um, only fairly low, maybe maybe a metre high um, and about a metre apart, I think. Um, and the deer size it up and they realise there's not room to land oh. before there's another wire. Right. So, so it's a trip hazard sort of... Yes, and it's working very well. Yeah, mm. interesting. Well, that... But, and it's not that it's a, a really expensive um, wire that they're using. I mm. think it's just some strands or something. Um, but it's just enough to make them think, oh, I can't land there and then jump again, mm. and mm. I can't jump over the two. Yep. That's 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 a really good idea. Yeah, really it would creative. it would probably still halt other wildlife coming that's, in as well. That's um, um, but if you don't want your veggies and other food plants to be decimated, yeah. then that is definitely an option. It depends mm. on anyway, yeah, what sort of garden. Just a you've got. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, that's very mm. good. Thank, Thank you very you. much Thank for you. sharing that, Lorraine. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Um, interesting. I think that's a cool idea. But, mm, yeah, it would yeah. depend on what the objective of your garden is. So Cindy and Altham, who's wanting maybe to encourage wildlife, the double fencing may not yeah. work or to bring in the other larger yeah. fauna. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it, her, yeah, um, the caller before is a, is a very good idea for, you know, around your veggie patches. Yeah. But that is the problem is when you're dealing with water or creeks and those sort of things, like implementing those sort of things can inhibit other animal species yep. coming in. And the other thing is... If the deer were really hungry, I think they'd still get into yeah. that. It's just that they're like, ah, oh, damn. They are pretty lazy. Like, they do. It's so funny the way they browse. It seems like they only go as far as their head height and they don't really go low mm. a lot mm. of the time. And That's true. Like, we planted our uh, Christmas tree um, when we first moved to Alinda and they ate the middle out because oh, that's yes. where they yeah. could be bothered yeah could be yeah. bothered getting to and we thought oh you know um maybe uh we'll chop it off at the bottom and we'll make it prostrate um they will trample things as well though yeah so if they if they can't reach it with their mouth they'll get it with their hooves that's yeah. true we <laughs> have the mess. same with all the ferns we have ferns all on our property like saithias and dixonias and mm. As long as it's their height, they'll eat it. If it gets a little bit higher, they're safe. But yeah. this is the problem is, like, Getting we're losing higher. all that understory. Yep. Yeah. And it and unless we're going to, like, we've started, we're going to fence a whole lot of these ferns to try and get mm. this understory coming back because it's gone. We've done the same thing with yeah. Saithias and every single one. We we actually got, um, like, a the top of a pallet, mm -hmm. the timber top of a pallet, and put that over oh, the that's top. Cool. Yeah. It actually works quite well. It's really like good. a little fortress of yep. solitude for this fern but oh i feel sorry for it it's barricades <laughs> in a cage yeah. i get so upset about it i'm like mm. you probably hear it in my voice on the radio i'm just like ah it's just <laughs> so frustrating but yeah all right well we've still got a little bit more time if you want to call up last minute the number is nine four one nine zero one double five and the text line is oh four double eight eight zero nine eight five five 
Emma, I want to talk about encouraging women in horticulture in a second, but Emmeline, uh, we've had a question. If you could repeat the name of the Veronica again, please. Oh, yes. It's an easy question. Oh. <laughs> um, Veronica Arenaria. So I'll spell the whole thing out. V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A and Arenaria, A-R-E-N-A-R-I-A. Thank you very much. And the common name again? Uh, Cottage Speedwell. Cottage Speedwell. Yes. Veronica's common names are the Speedwells and there's usually another word associated with those species. Yeah. Emma, what events does Encouraging Women in Horticulture have coming up? So at the moment uh, we've planned for May, Tuesday the 10th of May, uh, a mushroom growing webinar. So anyone that's had an interest in growing mushrooms at home, we've got uh, some wonderful presenters from myco community it's myco community but they've made it one word so my community my oh. community it's uh, very nice. good yeah, yeah i like it um <laughs> so they're going to present for us um and that's going to be at 7 p.m it's a webinar um so we're keeping some of our events online uh makes it more accessible for everyone as mm. well yep. um that's twenty dollars for members and twenty five dollars for non-members and you can email to rsvp our email address is info at ewha.com.au and our website is www.ewha.com.au and you can find all the details of our current calendar of events. We'll also have a visit to Trade Day in June and um, in August we've got our AGM. So there's there's plenty in the works. Oh, an exciting one will be September. We're doing a green roof tour of um, a private green roof on uh, Flinders Street Ooh. and then we're doing um, a tour of Parliament House green roof oh, and yeah, and extended gardens. So that will be really beautiful. And Rachel Robertson from um, Parliament House, she's the horticulturalist there. She's going to talk to us about all the beautiful plants growing there. So oh. we feel very lucky to have that. I've, I've planned that event this is the third year. Oh. <laughs> so, so poor Rachel, she's had me emailing every year like, so is this going ahead? It, it's going to happen, I feel, this year. I'm feeling it too. Me I too. think it will happen as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds good. So if there are any um, female horticulturalists out there that sort of want to meet um, some other people in the industry mm. and do a bit of like PD, as we've all sort of said this morning, like we can never stop learning. We never know it all. Um, encouraging women in horticulture is a really good organisation that supports females in the industry. It has mm. previously been a bit of a boys' club, but we're infiltrating yeah. and we've got a little bit to contribute. Yeah. A lot. A lot. <laughs> Just a tad. Yeah. All right, we've got time for one last caller and we must say good morning to Laurel in Torquay. Oh, hello. Good, mo good, good morning. Good morning. A lovely show today. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, now, I got invaded by deer a couple of years ago, actually. We have a herd that wanders around the inland from Torquay. And um, my, not having a lot of money, my solution was to use star pickets, which I already had a star picket lightweight fence around the veggie garden, but I extended it with just tomato steaks and then put another layer of chicken wire above. And that was perfectly adequate to discourage the deer. Mm -hmm. So all I did was screw them to the uh, um, star pickets. That's really good. That's yeah, yeah, and that's really affordable for people to do as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 yeah, definitely, and um, and quite strong enough. And because it was so lightweight, 
it resisted the wind too. The wind wasn't able to catch it. And how right. close together do you put the star pickets? Well, they could easily be. They're over two metres apart. Yeah, okay. You know, it's not a strong fence by any means. If I leaned against it, it'd collapse. <laughs> <laughs> so it sort of plays into what you were saying before, Emma, about them being lazy. Mm. Yeah, they're yeah. super lazy. Well, they just, if it's a visual barrier and they can't see how to jump over it, they certainly won't. Mm. And did you say yeah. you planted tomato bushes in between it? Is that what you said? Or no? No, no. I have. Um, I, I bought. I did my question about a plant was I bought a Roxanthia plant at uh, the Wandon sale uh, over a year ago now, and I still don't know what aspect or how or where to plant it because it's quite specific conditions down here. Uh, well, Roxanthia is one I don't know of, to be honest. Um, Do you want me to? Start? Sampia, S-A-M-P-H-I-R-E, sea fennel, they call it. Oh, sea, oh, sea fennel. Yes, it's one of the Renaissance plants. Mm. Delicious, absolutely delicious. <laughs> yeah, I bet it would be. But the, and they, you're saying they stay away from it? No, 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 this is a totally different question. I'm sorry, oh. it, it all got bundled up together. No, I have it in a small pot and I want to plant it out into the garden. I'm just wondering if anyone knows where I should plant, what kind of aspect I should plant it. Um, I think you bet if you if you can, if you can call up next week, Meryl Johnson will be and Stephen oh. Ryan are on the show and they will be able to give you a, a more informed answer for that. Oh, great. All right. Yep. Yeah. Meryl have, owned. I don't know this one. Yeah. Meryl owned country farm perennials. Is for it Christmas martimum? Yeah, it's not I coming have... as rock scent. Yes, yeah. but yes, that's it. Yeah, because I have oh. a Christmas martimum. They they like full sun. Do that. Um, yeah, and they you can. I mean, I've planted mine with other perennials, um, okay. which you know, I I like to mix herbs in with my perennials because I know what they are, so I'm not concerned about whether I'll pick the right thing or not um yeah. but yeah the, my one grows in the full sun um oh. and and fairly uh deteriorated soil because they'll, they'll grow on rocks oh well, that would perfect. <laughs> so fairly you know it doesn't have to be a rich soil by any means oh, and you could grow it in a pot if you if because they can uh take over if you don't prune them back they got oh, the same okay. flower head like all the, yeah, all your parsley and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so like fennels. They'd be quite yeah. weird. Yeah, the carrot family. Yeah, yeah, it's just going into flower at the moment. Actually, right. well, so I presume I should wait till it finishes flowering. I have a garden bed that's in full sun that's in shocking condition. Maybe I should just put it in there and let it go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Put oh. give it a trial there, but give give Stephen and Meryl a call next week, and um, okay. and they should be able to give you a bit more information. Oh, thank you very all right. much. No worries. Okay. Thanks, Laurel. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Well, we have come to the end of today's show. We need to run off. Um, thank you, all three of you, for coming in this morning, giving up your time. Such a thank pleasure. You, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Rose and Byrne, who did the phones, and Liz, who does our social media. We'll post the photos of the plants we've been talking on the socials uh, later this morning. Have a lovely day, everyone, and we'll be back on air at 7.30 next Sunday. See you later. Ta-da. Bye. Bye. Bye.